Your podcast starts after this quick message from Clear. The average person breathes over 23,000 times a day. That's 23,000 opportunities for allergens and germs to get in your nose and body and wreak havoc. That is, unless you regularly clean your nose and sinuses. So for healthy breathing and a strong body, use Clear Nasal Spray. Clear is a natural nasal spray featuring xylitol, an ingredient clinically proven to work against bacteria and effectively clean, not just rinse, your nose. Clear Nasal Spray quickly alleviates congestion, opens your airway, and ensures your body's natural defenses are strong. In fact, in a recent study, researchers found that xylitol nasal sprays like Clear are just as effective as leading medicated nasal sprays. For better breathing, get Clear today. That's spelled X-L-E-A-R. You can find it at all major retailers, CVS, Rite Aid, Walgreens, Sprouts, Whole Foods, and everywhere else. You're listening to Radio MD. She's a chiropractic physician, lecturer, author, entrepreneur, and talk show host. She's Dr. Suzanne Bennett. It's time now for Wellness for Life Radio. Here's Dr. Suzanne. Type 2 diabetes is a disease that affects how your body processes blood sugar level. This is glucose. Now, there are many risk factors that contribute to type 2 diabetes, such as, number one, if there's a history of diabetes in your family, are you overweight and not getting enough exercise? Are you over 45? Because people who, have, who are over 45 years old have a higher chance of developing diabetes. If you're pregnant, that will also possibly create more diabetic states. If you've had a baby that weighed more than nine pounds when she was born, that could be also a uh, risk factor. Race and ethnicity, such as Hispanics, African-Americans, Asian-Americans, and uh, even Native Americans, they have a higher chance of developing type 2 diabetes than Caucasian Americans. Now, if you've had a high triglycerides and if you've been a smoker, these are all risk factors. Let's welcome Denise Panzers, the author of The Virgin Diabetic, Reverse the Effects of Type 2 Diabetes, Reduce Medication, and Improve Your Glucose Level. Thank you so much, Denise. So happy to have you here. Thank you, Dr. Bennett. I'm so excited to be able to chat with you today. Yeah, you know, I I want us to go through briefly about your, your own journey with diabetes, and I'd like to know what inspired you to start um, you know, writing this book called The Virgin Diabetic. So sorry. Right. That's okay. No, that's okay. Uh, yeah. So the reason I actually wrote the book was I was diagnosed in my mid 40s. So as you mentioned, it's kind of the typical age where we can get diagnosed. Um, it was not due to obesity. I'd been um, pretty slender all my life. About the last year before I ended up in the ER, I gained about 18 pounds. So that was that insulin resistance I did not know about at that time, but ended up in the ER with pancreatitis and pneumonia. And about four days later, walked out of the hospital on four insulin shots every day and all of the medication for uh, diabetes, heart disease, you name it. That was the protocol that I was put on. So pretty much like any typical diabetic. Uh, but I'll tell you, I, you know, as I went through the process, I followed everything that the doctors and the diabetic nurse told me to do. And yes, I, I lost the 18 pounds and I reduced my glucose levels. But there was one thing I realized I did not feel great. And I expected when I followed the protocols to feel like my old self again when I was healthier. And that's when I realized 
that was not the right protocol for me. I really needed to think about regaining my overall health, not just making sure my lab tests look good again. Uh, and that's when I thought about lifestyle and what are the foods that somebody should really be eating, the whole fresh foods, not just because a label says it's low glycemic. And when I went through that particular process, um, all of the insulin shots went away, all of the medication went away, um, the weight, I've maintained a healthy weight, and my energy came back and I felt great again. Well, what it sounds to me is this is a, a miraculous recovery because a lot of doctors would tell you that being on insulin, that's going to be something that you're going to need for life. But you're saying that it's not true. Um, let me just ask you a question. You mentioned that you had um, a, a form of, was it a, a pneumonia? Is that what you said? Yes, I ended up with um, pneumonia and pancreatitis. So those are the two things that landed me. It's interesting because I've treated people for pancreatitis and very often ones that um, have issues with for instance, the areas um, where the cells, if the pancreatitis is regarding the cells of islets of Langerhorn where the insulin um, is released, then you end up having uh, a state of diabetes. But um, I found that a lot of viruses trigger pancreatitis, trigger diabetes. Do you know much about that? Uh, you know, I am aware of it, and I've had a few clients who also, um, where that has happened to them. Um, what I believe in, in my situation, I'll be honest, I was like pretty much most diabetics out there. I ignored what was going on for about the first three years. And I knew my glucose levels were, were hitting over 200, but I also made the same mistake many people did. Oh, I'll diet. I'll get back to exercising again. What I realized I was doing too little. It was too late. So I think for me, it was progressing mm, and okay. it also was in my family. But yes, um, I, I think that the vi I actually did have that virus when I went to the ER. You're absolutely right. I think that pushed me over the edge. <laughs> right. Gotcha. So then uh, once you realize, okay, you left the hospital and you're doing all this, you didn't f start, you weren't feeling very well, although you, even though you lost the weight. So what was the first thing that you looked at? You mentioned about food and what kind of changes did you make exactly? So uh, when we first, I went through this first round of coming out of the hospital and, you know, I shop in Sam's Club and all the typical grocery stores. I read all of the labels and what I realized was that was part of my problem. I was eating foods that other people told me were low glycemic. I threw all of that out and started over and looked at how I started shopping. And, and even if I dined out, I really had to learn that, you know, all these foods out there are just laden with carbohydrates. Everything has wheat in it. It, it all has corn in there. Um, and there were so many things that... Um, I had to realize my palate needed time to change. So the foods that I really grew up on were healthy foods. I took those out of my lifestyle as a busy adult and realized I was healthy as a child. I kind of need to return to that cooking again, 
fresh foods, the quality of food to me became very important. So, you know, if I was going to have a little bit of a steak, it had to be a grass fed steak. And it wasn't a big, huge steak that covered the plate. It was a very small portion, Um, organic foods, things like that, because I do believe also the barrage of chemicals through the years of us products on our skin, our hair, what showed up on our foods. Um, also contributes to uh, this chronic disease. Mm, such a great point. Your environment has everything to do with how your body processes and uh, the health of your cells in the pancreas. So, uh, you know, can you please tell the, our listeners what low glycemic means and what does how what's the number that you're shooting for when it comes to low glycemic? So low glycemic, and it seems through the last several years, the number can change slightly. It used to be if your glucose was below 70, and now we're seeing some reports that uh, if you're at 70, you're probably okay, but we don't want to get much below 65. Uh, what I do find, though, are that number can be different for different people. So the mistake we use is follow a chart of numbers, but they can be applied differently to people. So I have some clients that once they hit 70, 71, they don't feel so well. So we need to keep them to the middle or upper 70s or slightly higher. Other people can go down to a 65 glucose. They still feel energetic. They feel good. When folks start dipping too low, uh, they can feel um, anxious, sweaty, sometimes a little nauseous. Um, if it continues to drop much lower, uh, they don't have full use of motor skills. It's very difficult for mm. them to be able to move on. It becomes very dangerous. Right. I, I'm sorry. What, I, what I'm hearing is that you're talking about the glucose level, meaning low glucose. What I meant about the low glycemic, I was more thinking about the low glycemic foods, um, the foods that you take in that's considered low glycemic. Oh, I hear you. Okay, yeah. So the foods uh, would be things that if somebody's looking at a glycemic index uh, that literally labels the number uh, in that index for foods, you'd want to be below 55 if you're looking at a particular chart. The foods that would fall in that type of a chart could be things like spinach, uh, chicken. It could be um, foods that are going to be close like a sweet potato. So for some folks, Uh, That might be half of a sweet potato because the load for that uh, carbohydrate might be a little bit too high. But a lot of greens and vegetables, uh, corn is not a vegetable, just so folks know, (laughs) it is a grain. (laughs) Um, And what we drink is going to be important as well. So Diet Cokes would not fall, you know, unfortunately into that. Lemonades, which are laden with a lot of uh, sugar, would not be drinks that fall into that. We do really want to think about uh, hydrating with water all the time. But your foods like uh, chicken, uh, fish, those would be considered low glycemic foods because they're more protein-based behind them. Mm. And fats, um, how about seeds and nuts? Seeds and nuts are absolutely wonderful. We can throw them in salads. Uh, We can add them into good, healthy shakes. Uh, so we have to be careful with those shakes that we choose, but I can throw them in with some mixed nuts and that could be a nice little snack in the middle of the day uh, because we do get some healthy fats from that. 
and a ton of nutrients uh, from the seeds. So chia pudding, that's something that we keep in our house every so often as well. There's a ton of fiber in there. So one of the things that most people don't get enough of is, is fiber, and that's important for everyone and especially for someone with diabetes. Mm. So that's right. So high fiber uh, vegetables, fresh vegetables uh, want to be on the lower glycemic index below 50, the number 55. Um, get rid of the grains, rice, wheat, c- corn, barley, all of those, because those are definitely on the higher glycemic range. What are the other ways that um, how diabetes can be managed? So one of the things in managing diabetes is knowing what your glucose levels are. And I unfortunately speak to so many people who, when I ask them, how often do you test your glucose levels? And they're like, well, sometimes once a week, most of the time I might check it every morning when I wake up. And my response to their answer is, well, then what do you do with that information? And usually it's, well, I don't really do anything, unfortunately. And that's where people tend to get tripped up in managing, um, or what I say, let's work on reversing the effects of your diabetes. So understanding all the food and beverages that you're consuming throughout the day will have some form of an effect on your glucose levels. So testing before you eat and a couple hours after you eat is very important so you can start understanding the foods that maybe you either need to eliminate or limit within your diet. And then when we see where where you can understand what affects you when, then you'll start to see your overall glucose levels come down, fasting glucose comes down, and then of course we'll see that A1C blood result come down. When you talk about uh, before and after you eat, uh, what is it that you usually see um, regarding with their diabetic? And there definitely be, and there's, let's talk about there's diabetes that you, you need insulin, and then there's, there's uh, diabetes that you don't need insulin. Yes. So for diabetics that absolutely have to have insulin survive, so that's our type 1 diabetics, then we have uh, type 2 diabetics that become insulin dependent. Uh, For those folks, uh, we definitely can work on, if not eliminating, depending on the number of years they've been diabetic or on insulin, we can greatly reduce the amount of insulin by um, changing the lifestyles, you know, getting proper rest and and uh, watching the foods that we eat and what we're drinking. So uh, for folks that need insulin, if you're type 2 diabetic, there's so much we can do around that to improve and lessen the amount needed. That, unfortunately, for people that take too much insulin are typically told by their physician they need to lose the weight so they can lower their glucose levels, but the amount of insulin they're taking many times Uh, keeps the weight on for them because they're just taking too much per day. So we we work on lowering both. And then we have the type 2 diabetics that are on medication and they're not on insulin as um, yet. Many of them in years can move into insulin without them realizing it. So they have that chance to be able to stop that progression or greatly slow it down and hopefully avoid even getting anywhere near to taking insulin shots. 
Mm. Um, good point. I, you know, one of the things that I tell my patients to do, if they've got a hemoglobin A1C uh, that is creeping up, and that's 5.6 or greater, um, that's like a pre-diabetic state, uh, what I do is I tell patients to walk after every meal, and that really helps drop that after uh, the blood sugar level after you eat. Uh, what, what, um, what do you recommend for your patients or your clients on how to manage that blood sugar post-meal? Um, post-meal. Well, I have to tell you, I give the exact same advice that you give, Dr. Bennett. So mm. it's, perfect, it's perfect advice. For, and unfortunately, there's a number of folks that don't feel like they want to get up from the dinner table and go for a walk. So what I do suggest is maybe after your meal, is go do your errands, go do your grocery shopping or whatever it is you need to do so they're not sedentary after that meal. So it gives them something to do so they don't feel like they're exercising if they're a person that does not like to exercise. But everybody needs to grocery shop and do errands. So it's, a, it's just about reprioritizing your day and making a few little changes. Mm, that's such a great point. Such a great point. Good. I'm glad to hear that's another way I can tell people, go and do your errands. Uh, so, exactly. um, you know, do you feel that you've cured your diabetes, Denise? You know, in all honesty, I really don't believe um, that there's a cure for the type 2 diabetes. And to be honest, no, I don't believe I've cured my diabetes. Um, if I do go back to the lifestyle that I had years ago, all of this will come rushing back again. So to me, that's not a cure. Um, but our health is fluid and we do have more control over it than we realize. So I concentrate on really my overall health versus trying to fight this disease. Because as you well know, diabetes affects so much, you know, in, in our health, our eyes, our kidneys, um, heart disease. So I really try to say, I'm just overall going to stay healthy and knock on wood as I age. Hopefully I never have to go back to that medication or insulin ever again if I uh, keep doing what I'm doing. Yes, absolutely. But it sounds to me you're doing such a great job for yourself and for people who really need to learn more. And you're, you're teaching them so many th great things that they can do on their own. And through this book, The Virgin Diabetic, can you, I, I'm sorry, I messed up on your, the first, the time, your name of it at first, because um, you know what? One of my very good friends, uh, her name is JJ Virgin, and she has a book called The Virgin Diet. Oh, yeah. I'm, yes, I'm aware. I'm, yeah. I'm curious um, how you got the name The Virgin Diabetic. <laughs> well, diabetes is not really a, a snazzy discussion. So I wanted a little bit of a title that might be a little bit of an attention grabber. That was one reason. <laughs> and the other, the other reason was because I really was kind of a virgin to the whole disease. I, I didn't know mm. a lot, even though my, my father passed at the age of 61 from He'd been diabetic, um, unfortunately poorly managed, pushed him into heart disease. Um, and I thought I still really didn't know much about it. So that's how I came up with the title, The Virgin Diabetic. It was a little of both. <laughs> that's, ex that's excellent. So uh, what you mentioned is that um, there's definitely ways that you can also, you know, a lot of, a lot of the people that are listening might be taking medication. We mentioned about type 2 diabetes um, and a lot of the medication that people are on is either, either glucophage or metformin. And um, in your book, do you actually help them wean off of these medications if their numbers get better? 
Um, so through the book, I don't do that. I am working on uh, another book uh, to kind of dig more into that. This particular book I wrote more as an inspiration for folks that if someone like me who really knew nothing about diabetes when I got diagnosed could make such a transformation in their health, then really anybody could make great improvement. So that's what this particular book is about. Um, I do have a little bit of information on some lab testing in there. I spent a decade in the lab industry. So um, I will get folks that come to see me and they've tabbed those things in the book so we can talk about lab testing that they need uh, in addition to like the fasting glucose and the A1C. Mm, let's talk about lab testing. So um, talk talk to us about some of the numbers that we're looking for, because uh, often a, you know an internist would say, "Oh, your numbers are fine in your glucose level, and it's at ninety nine, and and of course it's under the normal range to a hundred, uh, right? But ninety nine to me is still not good enough." Yeah, no, exactly. Now, if you're somebody that starts at like 240 for like a fasting glucose and we keep moving right. you down, that sounds like a wonderful number. But for other folks, if they see that creeping up and creeping up uh, and you're starting to hit the upper 90s, then yes, that tells us that there's a bit of that metabolic um, impairment. Uh, the A1C test, I have to tell you, is kind of a misunderstood test by a lot of patients. And they hear this number that, so I'll give you an example. When I was diagnosed, my A1C was at 10%. Wow. Which meant that I had an, it was high, right? Which Very is why high. I ended up in the hospital. Mm -hmm. So average of a 240 glucose, that's what a 10% A1C would equate to. Sometimes it was a little bit better. Sometimes it was definitely worse. But what I did not understand is how I should have interpreted that test so I could understand the importance of improving that number. So that test originally is uh, actually called a hemoglobin A1 test, as you know, and that tells us the percentage of sugar that is attached to the hemoglobin in our cells. So our hemoglobin is our oxygen. And as that number tends to increase, then I now teach my clients that you are suffocating those healthy cells. And this is what will drive poor circulation that moves to neuropathy and for many eventually amputation. So if you think about that higher number on your A1C, we're kind of choking those cells and we really want to give them the life to breathe uh, by lowering our glucose levels. So eating those healthy, low glycemic foods, doing some exercise and then testing our glucose so we know if we're eating and consuming the right foods or not. Mm. Uh, the, that hemoglobin A1C is also indica indicative of how you've been eating for the past three months. So if you start to yeah. improve your lifestyle, you're sleeping better, reducing inflammatory foods, of course, the excess carbohydrates, start exercising, it's really interesting how quickly that number actually can go down. It can literally happen in weeks. Um, I do have a lot of my clients, I suggest they even get a, a home test kit in between their doctor visits so they can actually start seeing uh, the benefit of the changes that they're making so they don't have to worry or be afraid of what their result will be. They'll know if they're taking enough steps to make those changes before they even see their doctor. Mm. What kind of a home test kit are you talking about? 
so there is a um, A1C home test kit that you can get in any, um, like a Walgreens CVS. They can be ordered online. And it's literally a finger prick, uh, just like if you were testing with your own glucose meter. And it takes about five minutes to be able to get that A1C result. And it is actually pretty accurate. Um, I know that there are a number of physicians that will actually use uh, that particular test kit in their office um, instead of sending someone for a blood draw every single time. Mm, That's fantastic to know. And it's, it's obviously, it's easy to do. And then you can monitor instead of needing to go to the doctor. And right now, that's the perfect way of handling during this pandemic, doing things at home. Self-care is really healthcare, isn't it? It, it, it certainly is, and it's really kept a lot of my clients with the ability to know what's going on um, until they can visit their physician. So it's a great little test. Um, there is information uh, for that. They can go to my website at reversemydiabetes.net, and we can uh, get you the information that you need for buying supplies online very easily. That just gets drop shipped to your door. Mm, perfect. Can you go ahead and say your, the name of your website again so our listeners can write it down clearly? Certainly. Uh, my website is reversemydiabetes.net. Mm. Reversemydiabetes.net. How important is exercise in management of diabetes? I do believe uh, it's, it's good for all of us, number one. Um, one, from keeping your blood glucose levels Um, a little bit lower. It helps to keep them lower, but it's also a great stress reliever and stress uh, can definitely have an impact on our glucose levels. So I like folks to be able to exercise, um, not just to lower the glucose, but also address some of the the stress that they're dealing with, especially during these days when when times are kind of crazy. But it's um, definitely important, but I will tell you the driver, the number one driver in managing your glucose and lowering it is what we eat and what we drink. That's going to be the the largest factor in that. You mentioned what we drink. How about alcohol? So I get that question all the time, and I certainly never want to tell people what they can or can't do. Um, However, what I do ask folks to do is if you are going to try an alcoholic drink, if you are on insulin or uh, glucose-lowering medication like a glymopride, Uh, That can affect your glucose levels when you add alcohol, especially if you're not eating, and it could actually lower your levels too low if you're not careful. So I like folks to be able to check their glucose before they try that alcoholic drink, check it afterwards, and make sure they feel okay through that process. And then the following morning when they check their fasting, I want them to see if they've noticed anything different, if their fasting glucose has increased due to that alcohol the previous day. And Mm. many people will see the effects of that. And then on their own, they will make the decision and modify their alcohol intake. Mm, Thank you. That sounds great. Um, I I wanted to ask you what your take is on this. When someone goes uh, to sleep and they check their fasting glucose level and it's, let's say, at 100, and then when they wake up in the morning, it's at about 145. They haven't eaten anything, but it spikes up. Can you explain that phenomenon? 
Yes. So um, what happens is that the liver uh, keeps kicking out sugar into your bloodstream. So if you're if you're going to sleep at night and then you wake up in the morning, you know, as those hormones start kicking in in the morning, our liver pushes that sugar out into the bloodstream. And because we have that metabolic impairment with diabetes, um, there's nothing there to signal to, to stop that from happening. So as we, if we, especially if we don't have breakfast with a little bit of protein in it, we'll see that uh, number either rise or when it starts to come down, it comes down very slowly. So, Anything, when we think about diabetes, it really is a metabolic impairment. Uh, without the disease, I think our bodies work like a symphony. It knows what to do and when to do it. But with this disease, we have to be cognizant that we make the right choices. So, uh, for example, um, pretty much most of my clientele they'll have to have breakfast earlier in the morning than maybe what they used to do or no longer skip a good nutritious breakfast uh, because their glucose levels stay too high because the body's not working properly. Mm. Uh, what's your take on fasting, mimicking diet or intermittent fasting to help with that blood sugar, dropping that blood sugar level? So uh, intermittent fasting, I have seen it work um, well on many folks. What I do tend to see, however, is that fasting in the morning has not worked as well for many diabetics. Now, for some it has, but the bulk of the people that I see. So uh, what I suggest is pick a certain, you know, lunch or a dinner versus your breakfast. So we kind of want to get that metabolism to kick in a little bit in the morning and then select one of those other meals that you're going to fast from. And it really has, for some, done a great job in portion control. Um, but I do caution folks when they try something new for the first time that they really understand the balance of their meals need to be nutritious. They, they still have to be nutritious meals because we need all those nutrients we can get. Right, exactly. You know, we, I'm glad you mentioned portion control uh, because obviously you're also going to have to work on, um, you can't eat a humongous meal every time because that definitely throw off your blood sugar. What, what is the uh, basic portions that you're, you think that we should have? So usually I find get your people have to get their balance. I have uh, folks that have big appetites all the way down to folks that have such a small appetite. They actually are not eating enough of the right foods. So usually what I'll tell folks is as you're eating, you know, have a small entree and get in at least a couple of different veggies and or a salad. So we get as that low glycemic food in there, right? From our vegetables, our salads, things like that. And eat till you're 80% full. Just when you start feeling about 80% full, you want to push that, uh, that plate away. Okay. Save the leftovers for later if you need to. And you can start um, lowering uh, the amount of food that you need uh, or you feel like you need over time. And for folks that uh, don't have a very big appetite, they either need to have more than three meals a day that are very small but nutritious. And that seems to work best for some of those folks that don't tend to have those big appetites. But they need to be thinking about nutrition the whole time. 
Mm, great. Um, Denise, do you think then your, your diet, whether you are type 1 diabetes or type 2, 2 diabetes, your lifestyle program and what you recommend will work for both? Yes, you know, it absolutely uh, would work for both because we look at everything in the lifestyle, um, the stress. So it's not just the food. We look at your activity when, um, if you're a type 1 diabetic or a type 2 and you're insulin dependent, we can still work on lowering the amount of insulin somebody might need to have and uh, get those levels of glucose down into that healthier range and get the weight down into a healthier range. So that overall is just good for our health. But the principles are the same, no matter if you have type 1 or type 2 diabetes. Mm, thank you. Oh, gosh, I got, I got so many other questions, but I know our time is pretty much up. I just want to share, again, your website is reversemydiabetes.net, and we've got the Virgin Diabetic Book, or have reversed the effects of type 2 diabetes, uh, reduce medication, and improve your glucose levels. Uh, this is fantastic, Denise. Thank you so much, Denise Panzers. Um, I really appreciate you being here. And, I, you know, with the audience, I just want everyone to know that it's always important if you've been diagnosed with diabetes, please talk to your medical doctor about the book that, that you're going to be reading, all the different changes in the lifestyle, and, and testing, testing, testing. As Denise says, it's so important to look at your numbers uh, to really be able to modulate your, the direction that you're going with your health. Thank you, Dr. Bennett. Oh, thank you so much. All right. Great information. And you know what? Please share the show. I know you. we all know someone who's has, who has diabetes or been diagnosed with it or even pre-diabetes. Uh, it can definitely change their lives for the better. Uh, look at her book, her website, and all that she shares. And if you haven't subscribed yet, do so now because we will continue to do our very best here on Wellness for Life. If you need help digging deeper with your health issues, I work with people globally through phone and Skype consultations. And my contact info is available on my website, drsuzanne.com. Until next time, go out there and live your best life today full of energy, enthusiasm, and ultimate health and wellness. This is Dr. Suzanne sharing natural strategies on the Wellness for Life show right here on Radio MD. Stay well.